Alrighty. So while my parents are coming back, uh, let me just say these, this stuff, it's if you have tinies and you're not familiar with it, you should look it up. Uh, I think it's mainly age two through 12 that they're shooting for. Um, but you know, the little board books are for younger than that. Um, and the cards, so I know there's a K through second grade. I'm assuming there's a three through six online. I just don't need it. Uh, I don't have any two through six graders. Um, but it's, if you wanna use that, maybe you're a homeschool family, maybe you want something a little bit more formal than just going through cards and talking about them at dinner, which is a great thing to do. They have a plan of how you can use those and what to do each day. Um, so I think the website's on it. It's Tiny Theologians. Um, they actually just released a new podcast, too, going through the attributes of God. So if you have that stack of cards, we found my kids like podcasts, which is like, wow, you've never sat still for 15 minutes and listened. But if, if Google's playing that, they will. So I love it. Um, and so I figured that's a, that's a worthy commercial because we're teaching their kids theology and we're going to ask the question today, you know, theology. So a couple times this, I'm going to keep walking from this in front of the screen. I go that direction all the time. I never go to the left. Uh, I'm going to pop in and interrupt our regularly scheduled Mark series. Um, for you know a month or so at a time because as a church I want us to walk through the major doctrines of the Christian faith um, so we're not gonna rush things we're gonna spend a good amount of time on each uh, particular belief uh, but I think this will be really helpful to supplement the rest of the ministry um, and I'll explain why in weeks to come. We have a short in time this morning. So all I want to do today is introduce the idea of theology and talk about why it might be worthwhile to give ourselves to um, for a couple weeks in Sunday school, you know, over the year, but really in our lives in general. So, so let me just start with the basics. What does this word mean? Study. study of God. We like that. Yeah, I'll take it. Um, you know, here, here's how the breakdown is, if you care about how words are formed. It's from two Greek words. It's theos, meaning God, and logos, meaning words, or word. So it's words about God. It, it's a study of God. Um, so second question, who has words about God? What's that? Everyone. Yeah. You know, theology isn't just for pastors, for scholars. Uh, everyone has words about God. Kids have words about God. Adults have words about God. Atheists have words about God. Christians have words about God. Every sort of religious person has words about God. And the question isn't, do you have words about God? It's, are your words true? Are they proportionate? Are they beautiful? Are they wondrous? Are they helpful? If you're human, you think about God. The question is, are you thinking rightly about him? <clears throat> and so as, as we start into the study of theology, trying to maybe increase our knowledge of God to, to better our words about God, uh, I want to ask, you know, 
maybe we should define it more in lesson one. I'm going to define it next week, but ask, why would we study theology? Um, and there's a lot of answers. I have three. Study theology for wonder, for love, and because it's unavoidable. All right? So, so why, would you, why would you study? Why would you try and get more or more accurate words about God? Um, I'm saying that the primary, the first and foremost reason to study theology is for wonder. Um, David said, the one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So like, in, in modern times, I don't know when historically this started, we've just kind of lost the, the goodness of wonder. We, we've lost the ability to sit and to con contemplate, contem to think about God. I can't, <laughs> do I have it written? Contemplate God. Um, you know, just sitting back, thinking about God, being amazed by God. Theology, this used to be called the queen of the sciences. It was the ideal to rise to. Um, it was the greatest use of your life to, to sit and to meditate on the beauty of God. I mean, that's what David prays for, right? The one thing I want is to dwell in the house of God, to gaze upon his beauty, to inquire, to ask questions in his temple, to, to, to see God. It's the one thing that we would seek after. Um, and we, by and large, don't do that anymore. Um, it was, who was it? Charles Taylor is a philosopher. He wrote A Secular Age, I don't know, 2006, 2007. Um, never read it. It's like 2,000 pages of what secularism is, and I don't care that much. But he says, like, our age is defined by disenchantment. We, disenchantment. I can't say big words today. I'm going to use small words now. Um, you know, that, that we are dis, disenchanted. We, we, we don't care about wonder. We don't care about beauty. Um, millennials and Gen X are probably the most guilty <laughs> of this. We're, we're just like, everything's awful, and so we'll deal with it. Um, and, and theology's taken a hit because of it, right? We, we, we can't just say, you know what, I'm going to sit and admire God's beauty to wonder at him, to worship at him, um, because that makes us so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. I don't even know what that phrase means, but that, that's what goes around. And that's a shame. Like, we study theology for wonder. Um, I'm not a fantasy fan. Like, I've watched the Harry Potters, and I... They were okay, um, not worth reading for me. But like, I, I, maybe this makes me a bad Christian. I don't like Lord of the Rings. Like, I don't like fantasy just in general. Um, I never read the books. The movies were very long, and you know, it's like, hey, do you know these fourteen random elves? I'm like, no. I are they are they Keeblers or are they Santas? Like, those are the elves. I don't wanna have to learn an entirely new culture to watch them. Like, just let me giggle and eat some popcorn. That's what I want. But apparently, maybe I'm out of my element here. Um, there's a character named Tom Bombadil, and I know nothing about him, if he's good or evil. But the first time I heard how he's described, I love this statement. Tolkien writes, Tom sang most of the time, 
but it was chiefly nonsense, or <clears throat> perhaps a strange language unknown to the Hobbit, an ancient language whose words were mainly those of wonder and delight. I'm like, man, that fits our time. Theology is often an ancient language whose words are wonder and delight, and yet we're not literate in that language. We're not fluent in wonder, right? We need a new TikTok or a new post to come up every 15 seconds because we don't know how to sit and dwell on something. We don't, we don't enjoy things, you know. Like I said, millennials are the worst at this, but uh, if we do theology right, it should lead us to wonder and to delight. And, you know, why are we taking several years, you know, a month at a time? Why are we taking a month on a doctrine instead of a week? Because I don't want us to just rush through this. I want us to wonder and to delight. Um, before I worked for the church, I sold restaurant equipment in Louisville. Anybody ever have restaurant experience? I mean, we've all eaten there. Do you know how... When you buy or sell a restaurant chair, do you know how they're categorized, how they're rated? It's not so much a good, better, best type system, but it's how long it's comfortable to sit in, right? Before I sold equipment, I worked at Cracker Barrel, and they have like those hard wood slat chairs that are comfortable for, I don't know, 20 minutes tops, um, and then you're like, man, I've been driving all day, and I kind of want my car seat back instead of this chair. Because some restaurants buy uncomfortable chairs so that you quick, quick, quick. The way they make money is they serve lots of people in the same seat. Other chairs, you know, fine dining has, you know, four, five-hour chairs because they make money if you stay seated and you sit and you talk and you get appetizers and another round of coffees, I guess, or whatever you drink there. If you get dessert, if you share at the table, if you sit around, you know, they, their business is set up to make money by you lingering and savoring. And so when we do theology, sometimes you need to eat McDonald's in the car as you're rushing between meetings and picking up your kids and whatever. But if we want to do it for wonder, we do it where we sit and where we savor. We don't scarf down theology. We don't do it first and foremost <clears throat> because it's useful for something. In fact, uh, Augustine, back in 379 AD, he wrote this. He says, there are some things which are to be enjoyed. There are other things which are to be used, right? The things, that, the things which are objects of enjoyment make us happy. The things that are objects of use assist, and so to speak, they support us in our efforts after happiness so that we can attain the things that make us happy and rest in them. And so if we have these two categories, right, things to be enjoyed and things to be used, when we think about God, which category is God in? Yeah, enjoyed. God exists to be enjoyed for our happiness. Use God for other things. God is not a means to an end. He is the end. So a lot of times we say we need to study God so that we can whatever. Understand our world. Understand parenting. Understand how to engage or to do ethics. And that's a dangerous move if we make God not something to be enjoyed, but something to be used for a greater end. Because there really is no greater end than God. 
it's also a dangerous move to be like, I'm going to study theology because I love books and I love people who are dead and wrote the books. And I really want to be smart and just be able to defeat anyone in a theological argument. Because have you read Facebook comments recently? I want to be able to defeat them. And you're like, hang on, hang on, hang on. Is studying God something to be enjoyed? You know, is it the end all be all? Or does studying God lead us to worship God? Let, let's make sure we're ending and headed towards the right place to worshiping God. Um, one person wrote, theology that does not lead to doxology or theology that doesn't lead to worship is not theology at all, but it's a vain pursuit of knowledge. What's the difference? It's the motive of the learner and the work of the Holy Spirit in applying what is learned. So if we're, we're studying theology to, to know God, to serve him, to serve others, that, that's doing it right. If we're doing it just to puff ourselves up with knowledge, that, that's not what theology is for. And so uh, first we study theology for wonder. Um, if you believe this, you'll see it all over the Bible, right? Psalm 11.2, great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Or First John, you know, we know the beginning of that book. We want to know God so that we may have fellowship with him and so that our joy may be complete. So study for wonder. I'm going way too slow. Study theology for love. Uh, I don't know how to do footnotes in the PowerPoint. Maybe, maybe somebody does. Uh, most of this point is from a book called Sound Doctrine by Bobby Jameson. I was thinking, you know, if we're going to be doing this for a month, maybe I should do some book recommendations, maybe two a doctrine. Get an overview of theology. You'll want to read Sound Doctrine by Bobby Jameson or Faithful Theology by Graham Cole are just really excellent kind of introductions to why you would study theology. Um, but most of this point comes from this little book. There's how you do a footnote in PowerPoint, I guess. Um, It's short, right? It's nine verses, I think. Rejoice in verse seven. The turn. It's like, hey, you guys are doing great. I love you. You're wonderful. By the way, the Antichrist, and here's what the Antichrist is doing, right? There's deceivers. They do not confess the coming of Christ. He's a deceiver. He's the Antichrist. And you're like, wait a second. I thought we were talking about love. And now we're completely switching gears and talking about the Antichrist? What's going on here? Um, and it's, I don't think ideas. I think if you read scripture, you'll see this all over, that love and true beliefs about God are connected. And if you have true beliefs, it's going to fuel love. The problem of the Antichrist coming is not just that he's going to deceive you, but he's going to squelch your love if you believe the wrong thing. Love and truth and in throughout scripture is the theme in individual texts. So, like, for example, if you, if you write 
you have a right doctrine of man, you're going to love your neighbor. If you have a right doctrine of providence, you're going to love your enemy. The doctrine of redemption leads us to love our spouse. The doctrine of God's love leads us to love our fellow believers. The doctrine of justification leads to unity. The doctrine of Christ's incarnation leads to humility. Doctrine doesn't just stand on its own without transforming you. It's going to lead to love. Um, this is Augustine again. <laughs> he says, whenever one thinks that he understands the Holy Scriptures or any part of them, but, puts, but he interprets them in a way that does not tend to build up the twofold love of God and neighbor, does not yet understand them as he ought. Right? So he's saying that if you're saying, I've read the Bible, I've studied the Bible, I understand the Bible, but the Bible's not causing me to love God and to love your neighbors, then you haven't finished your work yet. You haven't quite understood what Scripture is saying if it doesn't end in loving God and loving neighbor. And that's coming from who I would argue is the smartest, most influential theologian in church history. Um, he then says, hey, if you get to love and take the wrong direction, that's not good too, right? If you're going to, a, to an apple orchard, instead of driving down the interstate, you cut through a cornfield. Even if you end up at the orchard, let's try and stay on the interstate instead of going through the cornfield. You want to get to the right direct destination in the right way. But our theology must lead us to love. And finally, study theology because it's unavoidable, right? I started off saying, who has words about God? We all do. Maybe you're like, I'm not convinced of studying theology as, as a worthwhile pursuit. But it's inevitable. You're already doing it. You just don't know it, right? Um, I'm like, I'm preparing myself. I'm calling this last section, you might be a theologian. And I'm like, don't do a Jeff Foxworthy voice. Don't do a Jeff Foxworthy voice, right? But if you love God, you might be a theologian, right? Uh, who is this? Gerald Bray. He's a uh, theologian. He wrote Systematic Theology. He says, at the heart of Christian theology, there lies a personal relationship with God. Like all personal relationships, it's based on a degree of knowledge undergirded by trust. Right? So, so if, you want, if you love God, you have to have some knowledge and some trust of him. And to have knowledge of God, to have words about God, means you're doing theology. If you answer questions ever about Christianity, you might be a theologian, right? So if somebody ever asks you, hey, what's the Bible teach about whatever, angels, or, you know, sanctity of life, or anything, then when you answer that question, that's doing theology. And what happens when we die? To answer that, you have to do theology. How do you become a Christian? What's so special about Jesus? If your neighbors, if your spouse, if your kids ever ask you those questions, to answer them, you're, you're doing theology. Even if you say this verse of scripture is more important than this verse. I know we never do that. No one ever says John 3.16 is more important than some random name in Second Chronicles. But the way that we read the Bible, let's be honest, we're spending a lot more time in John than in Second Chronicles. Um, but even Paul would say, I deliver to you as a first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he appeared to people twelve. Why does Paul say that's of first importance? What's, what Bible verse did he read that says the, the death, 
the burial, the resurrection, and the appearance of Christ the most important part of Christianity. There's no verse that he read. He's, he started thinking about theology and realized, you know what floats to the top as the most important thing of first importance? It's, it's these facts of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's doing theology by prioritizing the scripture. Or if you try and encourage people from the Bible, right? Uh, so you have, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 4, here's all the information about the end times. Um, I'm not going to use the R word. I will. Maybe it's the information about the rapture. Um, many years before we get to that doctrine. Uh, but he says, hey, I don't want you to be uninformed about what happens when people die because here's what's going to happen when Jesus returns. And he says, okay, now that you know these words, what should you do about them? You encourage one another with them. Right? If you're saying, I read something in Scripture and now I want to encourage you in your grief and your suffering to, to press forward because you're wanting to give up, if you're encouraging people, then you are taking the Scriptures, you're thinking them through, and you're processing and encouraging people doing theology. Uh, if you share the gospel with people, you're, you're going to be doing theology, right? Um, our lives is speaking for God. That's what we're called to do. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, we're called ambassadors for God. We have a ministry of reconciliation. So if you're speaking about God, you better have the right words about God. And so we're doing theology. Um, uh, an ignorant ambassador doesn't do anyone much good. So, so why would we study? Because we need to wonder and worship at God. It will lead us to love God and love our neighbors, and because you're already doing theology. Um, so, so next week, we're, we're going to talk about you know, what theology is. I think I have six things. Then in two weeks, we'll say, but but theology isn't. I'll, I'll try. And, not everybody.